Good morning, and thank you, Jane. I'm particularly thankful today because I know about Jane's schedule. She has been the accompanist for um, a Hope College Theater production that we got to see, Bright Star. And I think that was as much uh, fun as I've had in quite a while. A Steve Martin musical set in some beautiful place. Where was it? Oh, North Carolina, yeah. So we got to see all that. It was great time. Appreciate your ministry here, and it's fun to see you in that spot. She's a conductor as well. So that's kind of how we stay on time and keep going. It's good to be here and to be together as God's people. The call to worship this morning is taken from the book of Psalms 148, beginning at verse 7, and I've set it up responsively. It's part of how we gather with all creation. So let's set our hearts before the Lord. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea and creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens, and he has raised up for his people a monument, the praise of all his faithful servants, of Israel, the people close to his heart, Praise the Lord. Hymn number 586, uh, I greet thee who my sure redeemer art. If you're able, uh, stand and join us. Let's sing together.
Amen. And have a seat if you would, please. Always a joy to welcome you here as we gather uh, to worship the Lord together. I'm glad to be able to uh, worship with all of us here on site as we gather and sing, but also, and I'm hoping today through the course of our live stream and recorded, able to take what God is doing here and meet people across the internet right where they are. Great opportunity. Now, a couple of quick things for today. Um, fellowship time afterwards, I encourage you to linger and spend some time with folks. And at 10.15, uh, I'll be down in classroom number one for what I usually call a follow-up. It gives you a chance to ask questions or to dig a little deeper with something uh, that you may have a question about. So, a lot of good things going on. Through the course of this week, uh, you'll hear about events, our mom-to-mom sale next Saturday uh, in the parking lot, uh, baby items, kids' clothes, those sorts of things so that moms can kind of sell and exchange and get things around um, in that way. Next week, speaking of mom-to-mom sale, next week is uh, what holiday? Mother's Day. Don't miss it, guys. But uh, things have come together. Next week, I'm hoping we have some very special things. I'm going to continue to do stuff you'll see later today um, with children in our uh, service time. You'll also see next week, we've got some special music from within the congregation. Won't tell you anything about it. We'll just surprise you with it. And then I think I've also been able, Pastor Florencio, who we pray for every Sunday with Mission, he'll come and pray the congregational pastoral prayer for us. So my guess is he'll pray that in Spanish and God will know we just give the amen. But I think it's important that we have a deepen our relationship with Mission in that way. And so I'm really looking forward to those things. Uh, join me in that. Couple of things. Um, we have a slide of the ministry snapshot. Uh, there was a link to that in the Thursday night email. There's a picture of it. I believe there's also hard copies of that around that you can see. It kind of looks back over 2021 at the various ministries that go on, uh, finances, gives you a picture that way. Also the contact card, and I'm very thankful somebody stopped me and we got some information just this week. The phone number is 616-202-1210. If you will text the word connect to that number, there's even cards in the um, library that you can pick up, take home. You'll get a form back that'll let you send some information to us. We can get you our email and all those kind of things. We're looking for ways uh, to communicate one with the other and be a part of things. Well, it's a new month, and that means it's a new Heidelberg Catechism question. I spent about a month on these in worship. Uh, this is about why we are committed to the biblical truth of salvation by faith alone. Heidelberg Catechism, question 21. The question, why do you say that through faith alone you are righteous? Answer, not because I please God by the worthiness of my faith. It is because only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness make me righteous before God. And because I can accept this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than through faith. 
Hymn number 426 is My Faith Looks Up to Thee. Stand if you're able, join and let's sing together. and have a seat. Uh, before we pray, let me take just a moment and uh, cast some vision, share some vision with you about um, uh, what we'll be praying about and some things where we're going. I'm very thankful for the contribution that Celebration has been able to make. Uh, Celebration is a part, you know, of the three congregations of Heart of Wyke, and we minister that. Um, but it's not simply about what we get. It's also about what, by God's grace, we give. And something you may not be aware that we have given to uh, Heart of Wyke generally is technology. Uh, when I first got here, Gary, who works uh, with our facilities and tech and those things, said, you know, Bill, we ought to live stream. Let folks know there's people who travel. We need to record it, get it out there. And I said, not in your life. Because I wanted to be together and in relationship. Well, COVID hit. And suddenly, that was the only way to communicate with folks. So we started learning, volunteers and staff, a part of figuring out how to do live stream services how to get them out, and by and large, each week we've learned some more things and great things are happening. And I just realized when everything works, all three Hardawike services are on YouTube because of what we learned in celebration. Isn't that interesting? Now, I'm not bragging. Okay, okay. I don't wanna brag. But I do want to cast vision about contributing to what God is doing through Heart of Wyke. See, see what I'm after there with that? Because of something we felt we needed to pursue with people traveling and people at risk and all this stuff, because of what we felt like we needed to pursue, we were able to give a gift to all of Heart of Wyke. There's two things where I think that's also going to need to play out. One is with um, prayer. I've had a 
growing sense that somehow God wants to lead me a next step and us as celebration, a next step in prayer. Not sure what that's going to look like. I don't think it's taking my congregational prayer on Sunday mornings and making that four times as long. But it might be we actually pray less in the congregation, but more with equipped and capable prayers through the week. So I'm going to pray about that, that we figure out. I'll tell you the second thing I'm praying a lot about that we might learn and contribute is how to do children's ministry. What would it look to do effective, welcoming, discipling ministry with kids in celebration? Now, we've done some things before. We all have a history. But it's a new time in a different way. What would God lead us into? And I think we can learn and be some things that we can make a contribution in. Let me tell you a story before we pray that shows how we're already doing that. It really gripped me. I have a friend who's a single dad, and if you know anything about single parenthood, you know that's a hard run. Single dad came here with his son. It was his weekend. You know how that challenge is. You've got to navigate all this thing. Um, participated in the worship service, and just recently I heard him tell a story about coming to celebration, and we sang a song. I had picked the song, and Jane played it, and you sang it. But for this single dad and his son, the last time they had sung that song was at a funeral for a deeply loved stepfather and grandfather. And so they show up here, they sing that song with us, and I won't go into any detail. The dad said, yeah, I didn't realize my son was crying because I was crying so hard. And they stepped out and had a conversation, began to process it. And here's what I'm really thankful for. When they were done, they talked about how through the process of grief, there'll be times that you really are happy and it's all good. But other times you remember who passed away and you're really sad and it's okay to be both. And then they decided to come back in because this is a good place to be with God. I wanna tell you friends, I picked the song and Jane played it and y'all sang it together. God used that to touch a single dad and a son. That's how God works. Mysterious ways, through our best efforts, but beyond us and together. Whatever children's ministry will look like, it will not be because we hire out a program. It'll be because God moves among us. Staff will be a big help. I'll give it everything I've got. But he moves among us and we figure out a new way to love our children well in this hour. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the adventure of following you. That as we gather in what are often very simple things, that you do amazing things. Each of us probably has a story of uh, we saw or heard or experienced something, and it flipped a switch deep in our hearts, and we've never been the same. So I pray that you'd continue to dwell in the midst of your worshiping people here on Sunday mornings, certainly with us at Celebration. And I pray for these two things. Lead us into how to become 
an extraordinary body of prayers. And secondly, help us to understand how to love our kids well and to welcome kids to be a part of what you're doing here. We do pray for Heart of Wyke, and I thank you for Pastor Aaron at Watershed, and thank you for Pastor JB at Fusion. As we pray and work together, continue to move us forward in your kingdom as we make um, decisions and figure out just exactly how it is you desire to move in power in our midst, how to respond to that. We pray for the people of celebration, Lord Jesus, that you would take those who are sick and recovering and be strength and healing. I'm going to give you a moment of silence to pray for the people in your circle in that way. Father, I pray for those who are grieving, and we've certainly been through a season of that. Uh, Meet us along the journey, wherever that would be, and in the tenderness of your grace, be healing hope. Now, Father, we pray, too, for um, the mercy of your presence to move through Heart of Wyke into all the world. You've taught us to uh, pray for those in authority over us, and so this week in our rotation, we pray for local agencies and governments, um, city councils, county, uh, Park Township, Holland City, Holland Township, Uh, people in administrative positions. We pray for the rule of law and a flourishing for all people. We pray for the work of our missionaries that go to the utter ends of the earth. And as we look to the earth, we cry out to you, Father, to bring a peace, a wholeness with justice in Ukraine. Press back the invader. uh, Care for those who've been wounded bring life where now there is only rubble. Father, I pray finally that you would help us to be expectant of great things. With the great Bishop Augustine, we remember that you always try to give good things to us, but often our hands are too full to receive them. So this day, help us lay down and lay aside the desires, the fears, the wants, and to lift our hands to you to receive more than we could ever ask or imagine. And with that in mind, we pray together of one voice using these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen. I want to do like we've done before and like we did on Easter, and I'm going to try and uh, move down here. And I'm going to invite any kids, and I'm not putting an age on that, but any kids that can join me come right up here. Yeah, we're... we're, uh, we're having bets on who also may find their way, way up. I see someone laughing there. Boy, come on up, guys. Oh, thank you. We've got some ladies as well. Find a good place. <laughs> good morning, team. Every, every time I invite you up, I'm having a good time. Um, 
I'm going to read to you quickly a little book, and I changed my mind, so I don't have slides for this for your folks. They're just going to have to listen. But this is, a, for me, a neat book. It's called the Church, the Church History ABCs, and it introduces a lot of interesting folks. So I'm just going to hold this up, and I'm going to tell you, by the way, this is one of the books that's in our church library. So hooray for the church library. There's good things out here. The alphabet begins with A, and there's an A. This is about a guy named Augustine, St. Augustine. And it says here, when I was young, a young boy, I stole some pears that did not belong to me. And I did not want the pears. I just enjoyed doing wrong. Whoa. So he had a heart issue there, didn't he? He realized that when he and his friends stole the pears, they just threw them to the pigs. They wanted to do something that would be a thrill, even though it was wrong. I just enjoyed doing the wrong, but God loved me and Christ died to forgive all my sin. Years later, when I was serving as a bishop, I wrote two famous books and I worked hard to remind the church that God loves us before we love him. So there's Augustine. He's a, a guy who's gone before us in the faith and is deeply loved. Let me pray for you. And then I've got some important advice for living as well. Jesus, thank you for your great love. Thank you that you love us before we love you and you love us into loving you. So I pray that our love might reflect your love for each of these kids. Thank you for the gift they are. Guide them in life. Fill them with great hope. For we pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. I made a discovery recently. Today is the beginning of Teacher Appreciation Week. So, all of y'all in school, tomorrow you'll see, anybody who says no, we need to have a conversation afterwards. Tomorrow when you see your teacher, remember this moment and say, I want to appreciate them. Teacher Appreciation Week. The second thing I discovered about this week, and your parents may have to explain this to you, it's also, and I'm not making this up, it's also National Correction Officers Week. And I think that means that if you are not really appreciative of your teachers, you may need to get to know a correctional officer. But we'll see about that. Thanks so much for coming. Head, why don't you head back with your folks? I'm glad to see you again. Isn't it odd they'd make teacher appreciation week the same as National Correction Officers Week? Who would have thought about that? Actually, somebody wasn't thinking about that. Oh, boy, not everything came up in my notes here today. So what I'm going to want to do is read the scripture. We're doing Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. And if we'll put that up there, I'm going to have to read uh, from the screen. And so we'll go along with that. This is an important passage in that having greeted everyone in the first part of his letter, now he sets a first principle. It's kind of like the theme for what he wants to say. This is the gospel. Let's read together as I read out loud. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Okay. 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to you and to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and great love that years ago, as you raised up the apostle Paul, a man deeply schooled in the Old Testament who was uh, met you on the rode to Damascus and began to re-see everything he'd learned. Thank you that as he wrote to this church in Colossae, that you used his words not only to instruct them, but as you've preserved them, now to instruct us. Guide us, fill our hearts. We thank you for their preservation, and we pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would enliven them to our hearts and minds, that we might know and love and understand and grow up into the fullness of Christ. Thank you for your goodness. For we pray in Jesus' marvelous name, amen and amen. As you look at this passage, one of the things you will find, and it's particularly easy to discern in the original language, is that it holds together as a song. So having greeted folks, Paul would have touched this song, rhythm, melody, easy to memorize, and would have helped them understand exactly what's at the center of the gospel. He says, this is the gospel at the end, and he points to these things. Now, as we do this and as we read, I want to point something out to you. I've put on the communion table, and you'll see here, starting at the far side, PH for physical, PR for personal, SO for social, and SP for spiritual. One of the things I realized in the course of my study and preparation for this series was that Paul is often writing with a sense of what's physical, what's personal, what's social, but also what's spiritual. And so often I'm thinking about the first three aspects of reality without the second or that fourth one there, without the spiritual. It's as if I try to live my life as as if it were nothing but physical or personal or social. There is a spiritual reality that affects how we read and understand. For instance, this starts off with Jesus is the image, that's physical, of God. God is spirit. 
Jesus is the physical expression of God the Spirit. You need to have all four of those categories to really be impacted with that. Otherwise, Jesus is just the image of our good social tradition. See how that works if you don't have that fourth category? Later on, we'll read about how Christ is Lord over all the authorities and principalities. In Ephesians, Paul defines those words and he talks to them, talks about them as being spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. So it's not just rulers, princes, kings, government officials, but there is a spiritual dimension of wickedness heavenly places. And if you'll continue to read through Colossians like I'm doing every week and think about physical, spiritual, is that social, is that personal, you'll have a much more enriched kind of sense of what God is saying. I also blogged this. You can find more about it in our sermon resources blog and in the email that I sent out on Thursday. Begin to expand a worldview and the scripture takes on a new depth and richness. Well, Paul is making clear here, what is the gospel? And as I said in my little sermon snapshot of this, he lists every key behavior related to the gospel. Have you memorized them? There's none. I could memorize that. You see, the gospel is about what God has done. When Paul has this hymn to Christ and then ends with a statement, this is the gospel, it's because he wants us to know that the gospel is first to last about Jesus and what God has done. If you grew up thinking that part of being a Christian was not playing baseball on Sunday afternoon, I want to tell you that's not listed here. What I'll tell you is that the gospel is about something that's so much more wonderful than simply living for baseball on a Sunday afternoon. Do you see that difference? What I want you to see is that thing that is so wonderful. And then God will play that out. You see, the gospel is all about Jesus. And to understand that, we need to be very clear about two things with Jesus. One is his identity or who he is. Now, the text here is very clear. Jesus is God the Son in the spiritual, taking on the physical. God the Son in human form. He is the image of God. As God the Son, he's co-equal and co-eternal with both God the Father and God the Spirit. The gospel is about that Jesus, not some other Jesus. It's not about a Jesus who was born later. It's not about a Jesus who is different than God the Father. Together, co-equal, co-eternal, He's the physical expression. Jesus is. There's a lot of Jesuses floating around in our culture. A lot of different approaches. Jesus the prophet. Now, was Jesus a prophet? Yes, but he wasn't only a prophet. He was far more. Was Jesus a teacher? Did he teach us good things? Yes, but he wasn't only a teacher. If we don't think about the Jesus who is the image 
of the eternal God, we're thinking about a different Jesus. So we need to be clear about his identity. We need to be clear about his accomplishment, what he has done, and better yet, I change this through the week, what he has finished. The writer of Hebrews says that he completed once and for all. Has this Jesus given us once and for all a list of behaviors? Mm, Not really. There's some guidance on how to behave that grow out of who he is. Did Jesus give us principles for living that we apply in our own mind and strength? No, the gospel is about more than that. He has once and for all been our substitute, taking upon himself the consequences of our brokenness. That's more than a list of rules. It's more than a principles that we apply. It's what God has done, who he is, and what he has accomplished. There are four key words in this passage that we're going to touch real briefly, but you'll see how they come together to mean Jesus is singular, one and only. He is our hope and our source. First of all, the scripture says, he is the image. And I kind of unpacked for you how he's the physical image of God, the Spirit. When you see Jesus, you are seeing what you need to know about God. Colossians 1.15, I've just quoted to you, Colossians 1.19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus and the fullness of God. Here's the point. Jesus is God. When you see Jesus, you know God. That's what he says in John. These are the words of Jesus in chapter 8 of John's gospel. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. How do you get to know God? Do you go up on a mountain? Do you go to the beach and amazed at the beauty of the world? Do you go to a class or have a particular experience? No, you look to Jesus is what Jesus says. Jesus, John 10.30, I and the Father are one. There's a unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. And I want to uh, develop something here for you a little bit because the Scripture says that he's the firstborn. When I read firstborn, I often think, okay, there's a mom and dad, and then after a little while, there's one who's born first, and then all the rest of the kids. Can you tell where I am in the birth order? I think of birth as chronology. But firstborn is about a position in what Paul's communicating here. It's not about chronology. It's definitely not that there was God and there was a period before God the Son and then he was born. It's not about that kind of chronology. It's about position. And to the people that Paul was writing to, position of firstborn was the one who inherits everything, which I think is a great idea. But he also inherits all the responsibilities. He carries on the family name and the family business and responsible. It's that idea of firstborn as responsible position that's key with Jesus here. This is why the the parable of the three sons 
is so powerful and important for communicating the gospel. You know the parable of the three sons in Luke 15? There's a son who gets his part of the inheritance. It's a small cut, but he takes it and he goes to a far city and he squanders it, ruins his life. And then there's a second son. He's actually the older. You see, now that the other son is gone, everything is his. And when that prodigal son shows up, this son is jealous and angry. I've got my inheritance. But there's a third son in that story. Do you remember him? It's Jesus who's telling the story. Jesus is the true and perfect son who is willing to lay aside his entire inheritance to go, as it were, to the pigsty, to use his resources, to pay the debt, to liberate that prodigal, and to welcome him home as a co-inheritor. There's three sons. Don't miss the true and perfect son and the work of the gospel. That God the Son, with everything, will lay that aside to rescue you and me. You see, the truth of the matter is, when we look at the whole counsel of God and the belief of the church across centuries, there has never been a time that the firstborn did not exist. What's being talked about there is the position of firstborn, not, don't make that mistake, a matter of chronology, particularly if you begin to think there was a time that he wasn't. So he is the image He is also the creator. It says in verse 16 and 17 and 18, all through here, that what exists, exists because of him. Now, I understand that this would be hard to be quick, you know, talking about this. There's been a lot of discussion, even contention, about the process and mechanics of how everything we came to see, how does that exist? How did it get there? And people will argue, well, it's six 24-hour days. Others will say it's a long process over years. I'm not a scientist, so I'm not going to speak as a scientist. I have had some training in Greek and in Hebrew and in the text of the Bible. And I'm here to, in my conviction, there's nothing in the text of the Bible that restricts our thinking about creation to six 24-hour days as if God was saying, okay, Genesis 1-3, that's over, Genesis 1-4. What's important about creation is that it all comes from God, heaven and earth, visible and invisible. And do you hear how he's speaking about a physical world and a spiritual world, a visible world and an invisible one? But the reason it's here, whatever the mechanics is because of God. That means that nothing is here by chance. There's the dividing line. I'll let the scientists work out the mechanics where I will stand and by the grace of God die is in this truth that whatever is here is because of God's purpose. I will never see a human being who is a random accident. It was not a billion little accidents that led to humanity. 
It was the purpose of God. You know, Joseph in Genesis 50, 20 would look at his brothers and he would say, though you meant it for evil. And if you know that story in Genesis about Joseph, you know, his brothers betrayed him. They sold him into slavery. Joseph was an enslaved person who had to live through that. He was betrayed and falsely accused. Joseph could look at them and say, though you meant it for evil, he wasn't blind or in denial, God worked it for good that many might be saved. You and I will never see a human being who is the product of chance, the result of chance. God is at work here sometimes. God is at work all the times, even when our world is broken. You may feel like an accident. You may be told you are an accident. The scripture says, God worked it for good. Failed method. There's all sorts of different stories about the mechanics and how it got going, your birth and existence. But Jesus is very clear. Paul is clear here. We see what we see because of God's intention. It is not an accident. He is the creator. The reason there's anything is because he initiated. I may not be able to understand that. I may see brokenness. I may be a part of evil. Any number of things. But the reason we're here is because God initiated. That gives him a particular place in our lives. If I'm the center of life and if I'm the product of a billion accidents, then anything I decide is just an accident. Anything I pursue, what does it mean? But if God has begun this with a particular intention, I'm called to discover what he is. So Jesus is the image. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. The scripture says that all things hold together in him, that he is the head of the church, that the reason things stay together at all is because he is at work, not simply to start, but day by day to make things work. Now, I don't have time to really dig into all of this. It's fascinating to me. I may touch it some in the follow-up, but when the scripture says that Jesus is the head of the church. I noticed something as I was studying this word. I could read about a fox has a den, but the son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. That even the hairs on your head are numbered. That John the Baptist had his head delivered on a platter. But then I read a little later that the stone the builders rejected became the, we read Psalm 118 and read cornerstone. It's the same word. Head is not so much about, I do the thinking and the commanding as it is about a cornerstone that's sure and true and that the walls build off from. It's much richer. It wasn't until later that we people figured out that the brain is here and does the thinking. Paul would have thought other things about what goes on inside the body. The head has to also be a cornerstone and help build 
true and square walls. It's important that way. We can look a little more at that later on if you like. The third key word for Jesus, he is the reconciler. With reconciliation, he brings together uh, what was broken apart. When something is broken, there's a price to pay, a cost in bringing them together. And what Paul is saying here is that as reconciler between God and people, there was a price to be paid. If you break a lamp in the living room, somebody has to provide the glue, there's a price, or purchase the broken part if it can't be repaired. You've got to do without it while it's being repaired. You may even need to buy a new one. Somewhere along the way, though, there is a price to pay for the broken to be fixed. It may be the price of an honest apology. How hard is that? It can be pretty hard. How many times have I listened to families talk about an unwillingness to forgive or apologize or receive an apology? And it stays broken and unreconciled. Jesus is the reconciled. In him, all things hold together. He's the image. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. And he's the reconciler. This is why Paul then says, this is the gospel. And it raises this question for us. Who is Lord? Now, you know Paul's answer is he's going to say Jesus. And he's going to say Jesus is Lord because he's the image, he's the creator, he's the sustainer, he's the reconciler. But he was saying that in a world where the Romans were beginning to try to exert their influence and control by expecting people to say Caesar is Lord. And Caesar is the one who you obey, who you respond to, who you build your life around. And here comes Paul and the gospel of Jesus Christ that says, no, Caesar is good, respect him, pay taxes, but he's not Lord. Jesus is. And Jesus is Lord because he's image, creator, sustainer, reconciler. Do we have political pressures trying to make us conform? Act as if some of these things really are important? I want to tell you a bigger press for us is the whole sense of self. Our world calling us, teaching us to to think of self as Lord. You do you. Be true to yourself. You've got to be authentic. Really? We and our children and our grandchildren, for some of you, are told to serve the self. This is how you feel the rest of the world needs to bow the knee and live to that. And so here comes the gospel. And it says, no, self is not Lord. Jesus is. Jesus is the image, the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer. Is self-fulfillment a good thing? It can be nice. I've had self-fulfilling moments in my life. Is it the main thing? It's not. And the minute we think that self and its expression is Lord is the minute we set people up for the weight of bearing that, for the crush 
of defining themselves, of finding meaning for themselves, of living for themselves. Imagine a nation with 300 300 million people all trying to live for themselves. What would that look like? The front page? It could. Do you see? Paul presents us here with a radical opposition to our world. Self is not Lord. I'm going to live with a greater joy if Jesus is Lord who shapes self. I talked with our kids this morning about Augustine. He seems like such an ancient guy, 17 centuries ago, about three centuries after Jesus was raised from the dead. Let me tell you a little about this ancient guy, Augustine. He grew up in North Africa. He had a great education, clearly among the time of his people, an elite university education. He was a successful influencer because of his ability to talk and write. If he'd had social media, he would have had more followers than anybody in Carthage. He could turn an argument. He could turn a phrase. He was there. He was also a man of extraordinary sexual appetites, and he pursued that for a season. He had what they used to call a baby mama. In the course of his exploits, he fathered a child, or maybe not fathered, his baby mama took care. Finally, in his rise to the top, he had a faculty position at the leading university in the known world, at Rome. So that was Augustine. Sound familiar? He also had a praying mother. Her name was Monica. Once, when Augustine was offered that professorship in Rome, His mother begged him not to go there because of the lifestyle influences that he would face there. Augustine told her with a smile to just go home and sleep. He would not go. She did that, and when she arose the next morning, she saw the boat that Augustine was on leaving and headed to Rome. Boy, was she discouraged. He goes to Rome, he studies, writes, travels. His heart begins to change, and one day while in a garden, he hears a voice. Take up and read. Huh? Where could that be? He looked over on a table, and there was a collection of Paul's epistles. Perhaps, much like the collection of Paul's epistles I talked to you about last week, that are the earliest copy of those New Testament epistles. Could have been one of those same types of copies. He picks it up, opens to the first place, and he reads. He reads this, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness, not in quarrels and rivalries. Rather, arm yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spend no more thought on nature and nature's appetites. It's Romans 13, 13. He later wrote this about that moment. No further would I read, nor needed I. For instantly at the end of this sentence, by a light, as it were, of serenity infused into my heart, all the darkness of doubt vanished away. He came to faith. He would go on to be baptized and begin serving in the church with fruitfulness. God was using his gifts and training. 
He became a monk to study, and he was discipled there, and then became a priest. And within five years, he was a bishop. As bishop, he was always the thoughtful and gifted communicator. You see again, this young man on the rise, now he's a middle-aged man. But he's now a middle-aged, deeply-rooted disciple. He virtually invented a new kind of literature called the autobiography. His book, The Confessions, that I told the kids about, is marked by thoughtful self-reflection. It includes the story of he and young friends stealing pears from a neighbor's tree. Augustine and his friends did not eat them. They simply gave them to the pigs and ran on. He realized that the, our real pleasure consisted in doing something that was forbidden. The evil in me was foul, but I, I loved it. See how he struggles with that? This is Augustine, who would also write these great words. It's a prayer in his book, The Confessions. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Augustine is simply picking up on what Paul writes here. Paul says that Jesus is Lord because he's the image, the creator, the sustainer, the reconciler. Augustine is saying, because he's all those things, you will never find satisfaction, ultimate satisfaction in a successful business. Your heart was made for more than that. Is a business good? It is. Is it your ultimate hope and definition? It's not. How about family? Is it a good thing to be a faithful father or a faithful mom? It is. It is. Is it the central thing? It is not. Your heart was made for more than family. And you will be restless if you put family as Lord. With Jesus as Lord, you will live in family a whole different way. Do you see that difference? That's all Augustine is pointing to what Paul is writing here. Self, is it good to find some identity and understand yourself? Yes. Is it the main thing? It's not. You will never find rest of your soul with something other than Jesus at the heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your kindness to us and your extraordinary love. Thank you that you have indeed created us, that none of us is an accident. But in that creation, you also made us for a purpose, not ours to define, not our worlds to define, but yours to give to us. That by your grace, you have called us as your deeply loved, fully adopted children because of what Jesus did at the cross. This day, I pray we'd each hear and run to that cross, hear that voice of adoption, because our hearts will not find rest until they find it in you. Make yourself known to us like that voice to Augustine that points us to the Scripture. Guide us together as a body as we enter new ministry and opportunity. Thank you for your extraordinary and amazing love. For we pray all of these things in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said together, amen. And amen. Hymn number 17 is Beautiful Savior, a hymn to Jesus from the ancient church. Uh, let's stand, if you're able, together and sing.
beautiful Savior, King of creation. Receive this blessing again from the pen of Paul, the second letter to the Thessalonians. He writes, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and work. Amen and amen.